Hi guys, and welcome back to chapter 2 of our tour of Oxford. In this episode, we are going to be covering Broad Street, one of the most important and historic streets in the city centre. It's home to a long list of fascinating historical sites, from the university's oldest college to the world's oldest museum. This is the second chapter of this audio tour series. I would highly recommend listening to the first episode, which is an introduction that provides a lot of useful information which will acquaint you well with both the city and university of Oxford. However, do feel free to dive straight into this one if you wish. I've actually created an interactive map of the city which I would highly recommend you use while listening to this. It features the walking tour route broken up by chapter, along with lots of points of interest, additional information about the sites being mentioned, entrance fees, opening times, um, basically everything you need to know about Oxford. I'd certainly recommend you go and take a look. It's on historylix.com, so head over there if that sounds interesting to you. Um, Okay, without further ado, here is chapter two of the Oxford Tour podcast. By the 10th century, Oxford was one of many bustling market towns in the area. The first fortifications were erected around what is now the city centre of Oxford in the year 911 AD. But of course, the settlement extended far beyond those walls. There was a dirt track running along the northern exterior of the city wall, which became the home of a permanent horse market. Horsemonger Street, as it became known, was an exceptionally wide street in a typically narrow city, and as a consequence, it was colloquially known as the Broad. The northern stretch of the walls ran through what is now the block of shops on the southern side of Broad Street. Shops like Boswell's and the Fudge Kitchen, if you happen to be standing there. Though any clues to the history are very well hidden. They are there, though. For example, the ruins of one of the original watchtowers sits in the storage area at the back of Boswell's. It is only accessible to the staff of the shop, but I promise you it is there. The street is now home to a considerable number of interesting sites, and the first one that we will be discussing is Balliol College. If you happen to be standing on Broad Street, Balliol is the large, clean, yellow stone building on the street's northwestern side. It extends from the corner of Magdalen Street at its most westerly point to the blue gates of Trinity College on its eastern side. Balliol claims to be the oldest of all of the colleges at the University of Oxford. It was founded all the way back in 1263, so it is certainly one of the oldest. It was founded by a man called John de Balliol and his wife, Devil Gila. De Balliol was a powerful nobleman of French origin, whose son would actually go on to become King John I of Scotland. And his wife, Devil Gila, was the daughter of an exceptionally powerful and wealthy Scottish land magnate. The pair founded the college following a rather serious argument between John de Balliol and Walter de Kirkham, the Bishop of Durham and at the time one of the most powerful religious figures in the country. According to legend, de Balliol had abducted the bishop following a land dispute, and as penance he was publicly beaten by the bishop and had to financially support a group of religious scholars at Oxford. Following his death in 1268, his widow, Devogila, continued the development of the young college and in 1282 formulated the college statutes, which still survive to this day. From the outside, Balliol doesn't look particularly exciting. The high stone walls, large wooden doors and defensive turrets don't provide much of a clue as to the contents of the college. However, as is typical of most Oxford colleges, the exterior can be deceiving. Walk through the main doors of Balliol and you'll immediately walk into one of several beautiful gardens with manicured lawns and ancient stone archways. 
Much like just about every other college in Oxford, Balliol is basically self-sufficient. It has its own library, its own accommodation for the 350 or so undergraduate students, a chapel, a dining hall, which looks somewhat similar to the one in the Harry Potter movies. If you'd like to see pictures, head over to historylix.com and check out my map. There are extensive sports facilities, common rooms for its various students, and even its own bar. Should you decide to pay the small entrance fee, which is £3 per person at the time of recording, I have recorded a Balliol-specific audio tour, which you can find by scrolling down to the bottom of the Oxford Talk podcast. Balliol has been around for an awful long time, and the list of alumni is very long. The list includes, for example, four British Prime Ministers, including most recently the controversial Mr Boris Johnson, five Nobel laureates, and countless other famous figures, such as the economist Adam Smith, the scientist Richard Dawkins, and the author Aldous Huxley. Indeed, there are so many notable alumni at Balliol College that the alumni have their own Wikipedia page. That's pretty typical of Oxford Colleges, and I would recommend you go and check it out if you have the time. The thing that Balliol is perhaps most famous for in Oxford is not its alumni and not its history. In 1961, the undergraduate student body of the college decided to adopt a tortoise, which they named Rosa Luxemburg, after the old Marxist theorist. Both Rosas are real heroines in the city of Oxford, and Rosa the tortoise became a citywide celebrity. Often seen grazing in the Balliol College gardens, she would roam the grounds really quite freely and was often visited by guests and fans alike. By the end of the decade, a number of other colleges had decided to acquire their own college tortoises. And by the 1970s, it was decided that a tortoise race was required to determine whose was the best. This annual event still takes place to this day, up at Corpus Christi College in the first week of June every year. Hundreds of students bring their prized tortoises across the city and convene in Corpus's main garden, where a large ring of lettuce leaves, around about 10 metres in diameter, is laid out. Each of the tortoises are placed in the middle. Often they'll be wearing little uh, vests or shirts that have been sewn or knitted by the students that they're representing. And the race begins. Typically, very little happens at this point. But the race continues until one of the little tortoises reaches the ring of lettuce surrounding them and takes a bite. At this point, the race is over and the victor declared. During her tenure as Balliol College tortoise, Rosa Luxemburg won many tortoise races and was generally considered to be the most naturally talented racer among all of the university tortoises. Unfortunately, however, in 2004, Rosa competed for the last time. She did win the race, coming within a cat's whisker of beating her personal best time, an astonishing record of 1 hour, 17 minutes and 42 seconds, which still stands to this day. Rosa's delighted Balliol colleagues paraded her through the city on the 10-minute walk back to their home and presumably partied into the early hours of the evening. The following morning, Rosa was nowhere to be seen. The Balliol students were not overly concerned. She might have been taken away to some secret after-party, they thought, or perhaps she was nursing a hangover in a nearby bush. Hours turned into days and days into weeks, and there was still no sign of the little tortoise. The college posted a public plea for her safe return, but it was to no avail. At the time of writing, in 2019, the fate of the poor little tortoise is still unknown. Various theories have of course raged over the past 15 years or so. The one most commonly accepted by Balliol students is that their fierce rivals next door at Trinity College most likely had something to do with Rose's disappearance. Trinity sits behind the blue iron gates, immediately to the right-hand side of Balliol. The two colleges have shared a dividing wall ever since Trinity was founded in 1555, and a bitter rivalry has been brewing ever since. 
it is generally accepted that Trinity students broke into Balliol and kidnapped their prized tortoise, later, presumably, murdering her. Rosa had been a resident of Balliol for 43 years, and to this day she is sorely missed. Should you decide to pay the small fee to enter into Trinity College, currently £2 per person, you will see a fish pond hidden away in the fellow's quad. While it used to feature a rather impressive collection of fish, the pond has been empty since mid-2004, having been poisoned by Balliol students in retaliation. As with Balliol, an audio tour of Trinity College can be found towards the bottom of the list of Oxford tour episodes. As you continue walking east along Broad Street, there are a few notable sites I'd like to point out. At number 17 is the first ever Oxfam shop. It was opened in 1942 by the Oxford Committee for Famine Relief, a group of citizens and academics from Oxford concerned with the famine in Axis-occupied Greece. Next, you'll see Exeter College, only really distinguishable from Broad Street by the interesting statue of a naked man that sits on its roof. The statue, named Another Time, was sculpted by British artist Anthony Gormley and faces towards a very important cross marked on Broad Street, where three men, known as the Oxford Martyrs, were burned alive at the stake in the 16th century. The story of these three men is fascinating, and I will be going into it in quite some depth in the final episode of this podcast, Saxons and Martyrs. Across the road from Exeter College is Blackwell's Bookshop, founded in 1879 by Benjamin Blackwell. This shop has been of huge importance to students in Oxford ever since it opened, and it's considerably larger than it looks from the street. The shop spans five stories, the most impressive of which is undoubtedly its basement. The Norrington Room, as it is known, once merited an entry into the Guinness World Records for being the single largest room selling books. If you have the time, I would highly recommend popping into the shop to have a look. Plus, there is a lovely little cafe on the second floor. Immediately opposite Blackwell's bookshop sits the Museum of the History of Science. Opened in 1683 by Elias Ashmole, it is considered to have been the world's first purpose-built museum. Until 1924, it was simply known as the Ashmolean Museum, though the majority of that collection has now been relocated to the new Ashmolean Museum, which is an enormous palatial complex over on Beaumont Street. The scientific artefacts of the Ashmolean collection remain here, and there are some really fascinating things to see. As with all museums in Oxford, entrance is free, though a small donation is always appreciated. The Museum of History of Science is open every day except Mondays, from 12 to 5. Should you take the time to pop in, and I highly recommend that you do, you will see, among many other things, a particularly impressive chalkboard, which was used by Albert Einstein during a series of lectures at Oxford in 1931. It features equations taken from the Friedman-Einstein model of the universe that had been proposed that year, written, of course, by the great man himself. This is actually one of two chalkboards preserved from the lecture that Professor Einstein gave, though the second was accidentally wiped by a cleaner working at the museum just a couple of weeks after it was installed. This very normal-looking second chalkboard is still kept by the museum as a philosophical reminder to both the purpose of a blackboard and the difference that a small amount of chalk can make. Finally, at the far northeastern end of Broad Street sits the Western Library. The largest library at the University of Oxford, it was originally opened as the new Bodleian Library in 1940. The building was designed by the famed architect Sir Giles Gilbert Scott, who was well known as the designer of the iconic British red telephone box. 
Scott was tasked with using the small plot of land to construct a building that could store the majority of the university's books. However, it could be no higher than the three-storey buildings surrounding the plot, due to the centuries-old, city-wide and very rarely broken law that no building in the centre of the city of Oxford is to be constructed higher than the 18.2-metre Harfax Tower, which we will be discussing in a later episode. Scott constructed a highly functional facility with 11 storeys of underground book stacks and a subterranean passageway connecting the building with both the Bodleian Library and Radcliffe Camera. This passageway was equipped with a conveyor belt for conveniently moving books between the three libraries. While the interior of the building was, by all accounts, wonderful, the exterior of the building was unanimously denounced. People hated it. Published opinions vary. A.G. Butler, for example, declared it not very impressive, while Jan Morris, the famed travel writer, referred to it as looking like a municipal swimming pool. One particularly upset Oxford resident even said it looked like a mental asylum, and I must say, I agree with them. By 2009, the powers that be decided that the new Bodleian was to be closed for extensive renovations. It reopened in 2015 as the Western Library, and having been redesigned from the ground up, it was shortlisted for the 2016 Sterling Prize for Excellence in Architecture. While most of the facility is only open to members of the university, the foyer has two exhibition rooms which are open to the public. If you have the time, I'd highly recommend popping in. This brings us to the end of our Broad Street chapter. I'll see you next time for chapter three, which will feature the Sheldonian Theatre, the Bridge of Size, the original Bodleian Library, and a Harry Potter film site. If you are listening to this podcast in Oxford, you might want to check out the complimentary map at historylix.com, which provides the walking tour route of the city to accompany this audio tour, along with loads of other information. Thanks for listening.